So here we are in a system not designed for women, not designed for millennials, not designed for inclusion. A system that is finally changing. Let's get familiar. Let's talk about business. Let's talk about lifestyle. Let's talk about womanhood. I'm Leslie Gray, bringing you passionate, informed guests to talk about millennial women building wealth, power, and influence in our modern era. The future for women and wealth is brighter than ever. Welcome to Love and Dividends. Check in on your extroverts. (laughs) It's something I said in the very first episode. We had just gone into lockdown here in Ontario, and I think for a lot of North America, it was April 2020. What a time. And I mentioned it because in that interview, I was talking to two introverts, and they were sort of enjoying the time and space alone. And the image I said about myself And what I was feeling was that I was like at the window looking outside like, what's everyone doing? What's going on? What's happening? Now, a year later, I mean, I'm in a totally different headspace. It's for me and and I'm sure for all of you been a year of true ups and downs. There have been things that have been absolutely devastating and rocked the foundation. I don't want to be dramatic. Oh, wait. Yes, I do. That's the whole vibe of this podcast. Back to my rock the foundation of everything I knew to be true. I mean, really, in what felt like one full sweep, kind of everything I'd planned for myself, everything I loved, felt like it was taken away. And I'm sure I'm not alone in feeling that. Because this is a virus, for some people it's meant loved ones being taken away. For some, it's just meant the lives we've created taken away. For some, for many, it's meant jobs and security taken away. There has been a lot of loss. And there's been a little bit, a sprinkling a sweet wine at the end of a meal, if you will, of gain. One of the big wins, and we always ask our guests about their silver linings of this pandemic, appears to have been connecting with people you wouldn't have otherwise. This podcast is the best version of that for me. I have had the privilege and pleasure of meeting so many phenomenal people that perhaps I wouldn't have connected with. Because it's a lot to plan a coffee or a meeting to take a lot of time out of your day to meet with someone. And now that we're all so comfortable and a little bit fatigued by Zoom, Teams, FaceTime, all of these video connection devices, in some ways it's a lot easier to meet with new people, to connect through those mechanisms. I do really miss the in-person contact, but I'm so grateful for being able to do so much of this remotely. On a personal note, and tell me if this is happening to you, 
in a few different groups of friends, there is someone who left Canada for whatever reason to go to school, to get a job in the U.S. in some cases, in Australia, in the U.K. And what's been so fun is that when that group of friends meets up now on house party or Zoom or whatever format, those people are included again. It's not just them flying in for big events. It's been so nice to have that connection. It's meant a lot to me. But I'm also getting a lot of fatigue from it. I'm sure you are too. The metaphor I've used is, might not be as PC, but I'm, like, I'm a big meat eater. (laughs) I know, it's terrible for the environment. But I love me a steak. And it feels like someone's been like, here is a tofu steak. It, you really can't tell the difference. Just try it. And I'm like, ew. Like, that's how Zoom feels compared to being able to see people in person. And while I'm like, yes, I'm grateful. It has all the nutrients you need. I'm glad there's a substitute. But, like, please don't tell me this is the same. My love languages are physical touch and quality time. And doing it virtually does not really allow for a lot of those. I'm guilty of this. I was just called out recently. But it's hard to be fully present on a Zoom. Um, the, the group I was with just full on were like, can you actually stop working and doing other things while you're on with us? Uh, sorry, guys. And yes, I can try. I will try. But it's, it's not the same. This episode is really a callback to where we were a year ago. I've brought back on three of the coaches that we interviewed in season one. They were all episodes people seem to like and resonate with. Very different styles, but sort of three different money coaches who I think are doing really cool things for women, for money, in the space. The term finfluencer, financial influencer, was just coined, and these are some of my favorite finfluencers. Why I bring this up in the context of connection is I don't know that I would have connected with all three of them, but for this time. Through the podcast, I met Jen. She was our very first guest, and and she'll be the last coach we check in with on today's episode. And it was fun to do a full year later circle back to see what she's been up to. She's been really building and growing her program and what she saw in 2020, which was an insane year for the market. Danielle is back as well, the financial empowerment coach. Her and I met at an event that I just happened to stumble upon in the fall of 2019. I want to share a little anecdote from that event because I am someone who, even though I talk about being an extrovert and like, where are the people? And I want to see my friends. I also am fiercely independent. So it's not uncommon for me to show up places with no one I know, just wanting to go in and explore. So I went to this event solo, and what I also like to do, especially at women's events and room full of women, is I usually sit at the front. Now, anyone who went to school with me, law school, engineering, even high school, will be like, that's not that weird for you. You are just a keener. 
<laughs> the image coming to mind is the Friends episode with Monica at the front of the classroom putting up her hand being like, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I may have had a bit of that vibe, not going to lie. So I was sitting at the very front, and my favorite thing about doing that is it gives permission for other people to move forward. Don't you think it's weird that at conferences and events, everyone comes in and sits at the back? And I may allegedly have been known to arrive at things a little bit late. In fact, if you listen to last week's episode where I talked about my workout partner, uh, she corrected me. I don't even know if I knew this. After listening to it, she reminded me she would set up a spot for me in these classes. They're limited in numbers. She'd like lay out if a mat was needed. She'd like get weights for me. This is a true friend, by the way. I'm like almost going to cry talking about this. Anyway, so she'd set up a full spot and the instructor would come and would say, like, is Leslie actually coming? If not, you have to forfeit this spot. I didn't really know this was happening. And she'd be like, yeah, Leslie's on her way in. And I'd arrive with the big venti cup from Starbucks. Brene Brown tells a story of her daughter and it's like the marbles in the jar story. Tell me if you're familiar with this. Her daughter talks about how in the classroom... The teacher would like put a marble in the jar when good things were happening or take one out. And at the end, I think they got like a pizza party or something fun. And Brene's like, hey, that's how friendships work. Like, that's how trust is built. Like, marbles in, marbles out. And her daughter was like, she was talking about friends who are like nice to her daughter and friends who maybe don't show up in ways needed. And her daughter was like, you know, I have this friend who always saves me a spot at lunch and like, We'll move over and share half a hiney when I come to lunch. And Brene was like, that's huge. That is a marble jar friend. So I have my marble jar friend uh, saving me that spot. Again, notorious for being a little bit late. So this is why I totally understand and accept the fact that at these events, a lot of people are at the back. Sometimes that's where I like to be because then I can kind of sneak in, not make a spectacle of myself. But at this financial event, I was, in fact, I believe early. And if I'm early, I like to park myself right at the front. And here's what happens when you sit at the front. This is my little PSA and perhaps a personal challenge to all of you. Uh, when and if we ever do get to go back to doing these things in person, which I think we will. As soon as I do that, I notice other people moving forward. Because suddenly, they don't have to feel like they're the closest to. It almost creates like a boundary, if you will, like a perimeter where they're like, okay, now I'm not taking up the most coveted space. I'm in the second most coveted space. So then they go sit in the second row. And then the other thing that happens, and this happened at this event, is people will come up to you and be like, oh, are you involved? Like something about you must be such that you are so confident to sit up here. Like this is a little life hack, but it kind of makes you seem way more important than you are. My answer is no. I didn't know anyone there, but I was keen to learn and I was excited about the speaker. Danielle Alexandria, who you will hear on this episode. I love her mix of sort of energy. She is a trauma healer and then has 12 years in the financial industry. So that combo is really interesting. And I just love chatting with her. I mean, we could chat all day. And then the very first coach you're going to hear after her episode on season one, after it recorded, we listened to it and we're like, this is really the vibe of the podcast we want. Her name is Anjali Dahlia Wealth, 
And I'm, I love seeing what she's been doing. She's been really building up her brand. And she's just really outspoken on a number of other topics that I'm just really here for. So I hope you enjoy. We're going to start off with Anjali and then move on to Danielle and Jen in this cute little call back, check in on your friends, call them up, see what they've been up to in the last year. In some ways, it feels like just yesterday since I chatted with them. And in many ways, it feels like an entire era ago because of how much has happened uh, in the year between 2020 and now. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Love and Dividends, Anjali. Hi, thank you. I'm so, so excited that you invited me back. Uh, for a second round of uh, of chit-chat. I'm really excited to talk about the work you're doing, especially because timing-wise, when last we spoke, it was either March or April of 2020. So the market had just taken a huge hit. We all had been quarantined. The, the concept of working from home was new to a lot of us. Now we're almost a year later, and I'm so curious to hear what's happened both with you personally, but especially with your clients. So I had a huge influx of new students at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, It was a pretty big year for us. A lot of people are uh, all of a sudden working from home. They had more time on their hands to do things like online courses, which is uh, what I give. The market had just crashed. A lot of my old students, I invited them back to a coaching call, kind of like rounded them up. They look petrified. But I said, do not change anything. Okay, I'm not changing my coaching, my guidance for you. We need to stick with the program. Okay, especially in times of turmoil, like after a market crash, like we saw in March, that is where having an external party telling you to stick with the program is useful. So as as far as I know, my students stuck with the program. And then we had onboarded a whole bunch of new students in April. That's fantastic. Tell us more, a little bit more about your coaching program, which is called Dahlia Wealth. Why did you create this? And who is the target audience? And you've alluded to this a little bit. Um, The name of my business is Dahlia Wealth. The first I heard the name Dahlia, it was uh, while I was playing soccer. Um, I played soccer from a young age. One of the girls on an opposing team, her name was Dahlia. And we knew her name because she was just so phenomenal at the game. She was, she just blew everyone out of the water. When we played her team, we knew her team as Dahlia's team. That's how good she was. And so for me, the name Dahlia has always represented excellence, perseverance, and just blowing your competition out of the water. And in this case, the competition is not other coaching programs or other, you know, investing programs. It's really the system, a system which holds women back from truly growing their wealth. Say more about that. I'm writing down the system is the competition. There's a reason why my program has been so successful. Women have, you know, not been successful in learning how to invest. Um, Often, a lot of times, uh, my students come with a money mindset that's not helpful. This is a systemic issue. 
A lot of women feel ashamed and deal with these feelings privately. But if everyone or most women feel some degree of this, there is a problem in our system. Um, And part of the reason is that the financial system is run by men for men. It wasn't necessarily, they're not trying to keep women out. It's just that representation matters. Representation matters. Yeah. And so people like me, women, um, women of color, we're hugely underrepresented in the financial industry. That has societal repercussions. You know, the lack of women in in any industry has societal repercussions. But, you know, I'm keenly (laughs) aware of the societal repercussions for women and their wealth. And so on that note, women and their wealth, what is the biggest mistake that you're seeing uh, specifically when your clients come to you, these young millennial women, maybe something to do with their money? You've talked a bit about money mindset. How does that sort of play into all of it? Let's start with money mindset. We talk a lot about investment literacy or financial literacy. There are a lot of things that they don't teach us in school. They don't teach us how to put on makeup in school, but you better believe that we teach ourselves. (laughs) Money is not, for a lot of women, is something that has always been elusive, um, that we've always had a difficult relationship with. And really, that is the source of our money problems, if I might put it that way. But the real problem is oftentimes deeper. If your foundation of how you think about money is unhelpful, your entire money house is going to be unstable. So if you've had financial trauma, whatever that means, it could be an adulthood, it could be childhood, Um, you know, if you've experienced financial abuse, if you've experienced poverty, if you've experienced not just poverty, but scarcity, like a scarcity mindset, you know, a lot of middle-class families um, teach their children to have a scarcity mindset unknowingly, like, like my parents, I, you know, did not necessarily teach us that money was abundant. <laughs> money doesn't grow on trees over and over. Money and I'm doesn't... an engineer and I'm like, but the thing is paper, I think does come from trees. So <laughs> one that's just factually inaccurate, but yeah, I think, I think there was like almost a point, if I may, pride of teaching your children scarcity mindset there's like a point of pride of being like our kids know that they can't just have anything they have to work so hard and be a little bit miserable all of the time for people who could be your potential clients or anyone listening who wants to become that level of boss lady what's one action they can take today to become empowered other than of course taking your course which is a great step and we'll link to it So what would be, you know, one step today that someone listening who wants to get empowered uh, could or should take or a couple steps? Going back to the mindset business, know why you're investing, you know, know your why, you know, we talk a lot, you know, this idea of your why it is entirely relevant when it comes to investing. Why are you investing? We have to invest for a retirement. That's kind of a given. Um, But there might be other reasons as well. We call them our best life scenario. So I ask, what is your best life scenario? If money weren't an obstacle, how do you see yourself living your life differently? People come out with all these beautiful ideas of how their life would be different. And that is hugely powerful. Budgeting works for some people, but an Excel spreadsheet 
does not tap into that deep emotional reserve we have. And that is where motivation comes from. Deep emotions. Superficial motivation can only get you that far. Love and emotions get people to do things that they otherwise never would. You're very outspoken. I know you talked about this earlier, but the differences between men and women when it comes to wealth and a number of people who listened to the last podcast episode, I think what you exactly said was, quote, um, men are taught to be investors because becoming wealthy is something to strive for. And women are taught to be savers and caretakers, end quote. Yeah, that, that is still true. Unfortunately, a year later, <laughs> that is still true. Um, and women are just taught to think about money differently. It's a generational, you know, we talk about like generational wealth, generational poverty. There's also like, it's around along gender lines as well. To reinforce that, it's like a, just like a bad cycle of us learning certain things from childhood and then it being reinforced in the media. I love social media for all the memes out there and investment tips for men. Invest in Bitcoin, invest in Facebook stock, invest in Tesla. Whereas, you know, money advice for women, 20 ways to save money on your groceries, tips to spend less on your makeup routine, how to make more food more at home more often, which is all, which are all good things. The tips that are given to us are about saving money. And the tips that are given to men are about growing wealth. It's so true. And I know even I remember reading a meme. It was actually, again, a, a really uh, close male friend of mine from law school. It was like women will spend $2 on something that's $3 because they saved. And men will spend $4 on something that's $3 because they save time. And it's because men put a value on their time. He's like, I will pay a premium. And it's so accurate to be like, here, now I don't have to worry about it. And it's women, and I was guilty of this too, will like race around. It's that whole thing where you're driving to like five gas stations to save on the gas. And by the time you've driven to the cheapest one, you've actually spent more. Like, I think there's so much of that in especially women's bias. And I've heard so many men, and I just watch them all the time, value their time so much and put a high dollar value on their time. And women do the opposite. And I still love a good deal, but I think we're deals and saving. That was a money mindset I really had to get my head out of. Uh, So given that money is all about compounding gains, what's something you wish you'd known or done sooner with your finances? This is the, I wish that I knew what I know now when I was younger question. You know, I wish I would have had someone like me (laughs) showing me the ropes. You know, I invested through a bunch of mutual funds and I didn't know what I was doing. I lost almost all my money. All these things that happen to almost every single novice investor. If I could go back in time, the best thing would have been to have a mentor or a coach. It just mm-hmm. didn't kind of exist, you know. So the next best thing was my dad who was like, oh, look, I found these mutual funds. Are you interested in investing with me? <laughs> and, and then there are times where I was sitting on a lot of cash because I was scared. Like everyone else out there, I was scared, you know, Um, after stock market crashes, I was scared. Now, like I've seen four crashes, four proper crashes. And now I'm like roadworthy. I am like 
I'm bulletproof. I love roadworthy. She bulletproof. It is what it is. And you do better when you know better. This is what I tell anyone that comes my way who's like, oh, I, you know, have regrets and I wish I'd save more and I wish I'd start investing earlier. You do better when you know better. And there, totally. it's never too late to reap the benefits of investing. It's never too late to finally feel in control of something that's always eluded you. Beautiful. What's your money one? We love, we love saving, investing, or spending money in a way that feels like a win. My money win is, is, was exactly this, is, is learning to spend and enjoy and not feeling guilty. And I'll tell you why. Tell I feel, us why it's a win, yeah, and why our listeners should learn to do that. I meditate, um, and it's like a, it comes from a Buddhist philosophy. In Eastern philosophies, believe that money is energy, and it needs to circulate. If it stagnates, the kind of flow of money into you is going to stop because you're like holding it up. And money needs to flow and you need to spend it. You can't just hold on to it. When you let money, you know, leave your bank account, spend money on things you enjoy and appreciate, it feeds into the abundance mindset. I That's hot. I like that. Permission to spend this money. I am doing I love what it. I want. I'm the financier. I love being the financier. It's great. It's great. It's such a powerful feeling that honestly, I wish more women could feel. I'm excited for more women to feel it. I think we're getting there. Yes, yes, yes. We are getting there. More women are becoming financially empowered. Let's check in with Danielle Alexandria, the financial empowerment coach who is an educator, coach, writer, and speaker with a twist, a deep love for trauma healing. She worked for 12 years in the financial industry, and she knows that far too many of us feel stuck after going after our dreams because of our emotional struggle with finances. Here's that conversation. Hey, Danielle. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. My pleasure, Leslie. I'm really excited to be here again. You are a coach who teaches financial empowerment. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and what you've been seeing this last year? When I talk about financial empowerment, really what I would say is, first and foremost, I feel like I'm here to help people become empowered. And I feel like I use money as the tool to help them reach their own empowerment in themselves. So a lot of times people come to me and say, Daniel, I've got these issues with money. And then like within a first coaching session, it's like, oh, it's all the other stuff I never dealt with, you know? So it's like money is just this energy reflecting your empowerment or lack thereof back to you. Working with clients, it's, it's a lot of, you know, facing ourselves and some of the uncomfortable feelings that maybe we've pushed aside or distracted ourselves with through various means. If we think about like, what is money? What's the energy of money? I would say it's really freedom, power, and security. So if a person has blocks in themselves where they're, they're not a match to that, well, usually money is going to be a problem. What yeah. are the actual issues when people yeah. think they have an issue with money? What, what would be some examples mm -hmm. of the actual issues they're having? They're, the issues them? are showing up in money. So it might okay. be like your relationship with money might be you just can't get out of debt 
or right. you have like compulsive spending or okay. you have like a, you hit an earning ceiling in your income all the time. So these are showing you, Hey, you're not like continually increasing. You're not growing. So there, there's definitely blocks there. So I feel like we can use the person's relationship with money and the patterns to say like, Hmm, okay, there's, there's something going on here. So if somebody is not empowered, what does that mean? It means they give their power away. So typically the kind of person coming to me is somebody who, who still is giving their power away. Typically it's from say childhood, they had difficult parental relationships where they couldn't really be in themselves. They couldn't stand in their power and be respected and loved and accepted. So because a child has a drive to be accepted and loved, we give our power away. We don't own ourselves. Ooh. It's biological and it's unconscious. And then this stuff gets buried. We develop codependent patterns. Yeah, it's really deep, right? I'm like, I just need to get out of debt. You're like, here's the thing. Yeah, so it's really about like feeling the pain of how you felt as a child because mm. those feelings don't just disappear if you don't feel them. They sink into the subconscious and then they're like trapped in the body energetically. So we got to like feel the energy to release it. And it just wants to move, you know, it's not good or bad. It's stuck energy. And so as we release this, and it could take a person decades to be ready to feel it, you know, like, it's not like you can just go, yeah, I'm going to feel my stuff. And like, I'm going to be wealthy in a year, just like it doesn't work that way. It takes as long as it takes, depending on the experiences you had. There's a great quote, the universe abhors a vacuum. So now the space can be filled with more positive things because you took a little bit of your power back. So maybe something is going to show up externally in your life to reflect that you've done this work and it might be money. It might be, you just feel like stronger in yourself. You can assert your opinion without like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? I'm going to be rejected. You know? So that's empowerment. You, you like literally regain the energy back in your body and in your field that you've been giving away to other people. That's the work. The work. The work. Do you think a lot of it stems from fear of rejection? Just you mentioned it once or twice, and and I I think that mm -hmm. could be a very common one. Do you For think? Sure, that's really I think it's, it? yeah, it's fear of loss. You know, like what is the biggest fear? Well, a lot of us are afraid of death, but we're also afraid of loss, and mm -hmm. so a lot. But that's also a great motivator. You know, I read another great quote that we don't come here with wings; we come here to grow them. Mm. So life is challenging, and eventually, it's about the courage to face what we've avoided and we've successfully avoided through so many means. So this is also what makes money interesting because a lot of people use money as a way to avoid their stuff. I'll oh. go spend something retail therapy, right? Retail therapy. And then great. Oh, now I can avoid my stuff. I get a hit of dopamine pleasure. And then if we're still caught up in the conditioning of status and material things, that's another hit. So you can see how these patterns have a lot of rewards. So they're hard to break. And eventually you just, you can't stay in that any longer. Like it just, it's, it's too painful to remain in your stuff and it's less painful to just take the risk to like, Oh, let me go there and just see. And then you let a little bit go and you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And do you think specifically for women like that females are more prone to this sort of thing mm -hmm. and sort of why and what, what can we do? Yeah. I definitely think so. You know, historically, if you look at women over many generations, 
powerful women were not accepted by men in society. We're still in a patriarchal world, although I would argue that that is changing quite significantly now. However, the nature of trauma is it's not only something you have, in a, you like you incur in a lifetime, you also inherit it through your parents' genetic material, your DNA. Whoa. Yeah. That shocked me when I saw that, but it made a lot of sense. You know, we think, okay, I, I gain these physical characteristics and I have these kind of personal characteristics of my mom and I'm like my dad like this. It's a transmission of genetic material, but what's also in those cells is unhealed trauma that's been stuffed down. It's been proven. And it tends to show up two generations later. So like you might not have your parents' stuff, but you might have their parents' stuff. So it's coming at us from like all kinds of places and a lot of it's unconscious. So there's a lot of work we have to do to heal this. So how this ties to women, um, I think a lot of us are doing the work, I think on mass, this is the first generation in history that's doing this like true deep healing, you know, of we were yes. burned at stake when we, because of our femininity and our intuition, like please, you know, and a lot of us are reclaiming our voice and speaking out when that would have got us killed 200 years ago. It's almost about your baseline beliefs about abundance. And it's not just money. Abundance is more than money. And we can talk about that, but just related to money, if you believe in scarcity, then there's only so much to go around. You, you almost have to hustle because hard work is the way you will bring in money, making it happen. If you don't make it happen, the money doesn't come in. So whatever, like this world is, whatever you believe in is what your experience will be. Like that's how it works, right? We're computers programming our actual lives. So it's also important to challenge the conditioning around that, right? And actually look into the nature of abundance and look into the nature of money. Like if you understand a few concepts, you would know that's completely false. Yeah. What would you say to someone who's like, oh, well, you know, there only is so right. many jobs or sort of comes to you with those scarcity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, again, a lot of it is conditioning because we've been conditioned to, you know, go to school, get a good job buy a house in the suburbs with the white picket fence, have like, you know, 1.8 children, hustle to save 10% of money in our working careers. And then oh, we yeah. retire, hey, now you're home free. And like, yeah. does that sound like a life you want? No, but something happens to us when we're conditioned to believe the money's going to come through our job. Like some elements of that are great, mm-hmm. but you know what? In practice, I have to say, I find most people in that trajectory so stressed anyway. I think of that as an older view. I, I also was like, but you're miserable. They were speaking to it from a place of being like, and now I'm so happy. I'm, and there are people who speak that way too, who are like, put away a little a year. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy I did this big savings. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's, I'm not trying to write off all those tips. Mm-hmm. And I know other, other people like that are like, you know, I'm really glad we, I did this early in my career or things like that. But, but I find a lot of those narratives come from someone who I'm like, you are just miserable. Yeah. And they often are like, I should be getting more, but I'm not because I was kind of screwed over. Right. And, you know, I just don't want that happening to you. Yeah. Uh, so follow what I did, which yeah. I got screwed over by. So it doesn't happen to you. It's <laughs> logic. I was like, I'm uh-huh. not, this isn't computing exactly. for me. So I love that you, you question that and you're like, you know yeah. what? That doesn't sit right with me. And that's what each one of us has to do. Again, our beliefs do program our reality. Yes, they do. And so this also ties back to like, you know, having one job. Well, I don't have to uh, like challenge my beliefs because I have essentially created a belief 
where all my money is going to come through this one income. Mm. And that's what I get. But if I'm over here in abundance and I'm literally, hey, universe, I'm open to however you want to bring it to me. It could be through work. It could be through a human. It could be through another opportunity. It could be like, a, who knows? If I'm open to all of that, I will receive your goodness in any way you want to deliver it to me. One of the things you said in, in, in the talk I attended was that the average, I think, millionaire has mm-hmm. three streams of income and the average billionaire, or maybe I'm getting these wrong, had no. seven. All of these people are on this trajectory of multiple streams, starting with at least mm-hmm. three and the wealthiest with at least seven. Like yes. that was a, sh- a mind shift for me. Yeah, for sure. right. So it's like, oh, how many do I have? I mean, you're only hearing about it once they're a smashing success. Right. But they've had those habits for decades. There's also this belief of like the overnight success, but we also know it's been debunked. The overnight success takes 20, 30, 40 years. We know that's true. It's right. not overnight. There, there is no overnight it success. It works like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Especially because actually to your point of winning something, I also think it's so fascinating that most lottery winners lose all their money right away. Yeah. The statistics are that within five years, it's all gone. And they're actually, they're more unhappy after they've won than before. And why is that? Yeah. Because they were hoping the money, they had this dream, the money was going to solve that void inside. And then when they get the money and it doesn't, the, the one fantasy they've been holding on to has smashed. Now what can they hold on to? And the money's gone. <laughs> I could talk about this forever as obviously <laughs> could you. <laughs> Thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for teaching financial empowerment from this place. You know, it's okay to take it slow. Like I feel like there's pressure. We need to learn how it works all at once. And oh my God, I don't know anything. And actually I didn't really answer your very first question, which is what am I seeing right now in the last year? We didn't get to that. But what I'm seeing is actually a lot of women realizing they don't understand money and financial literacy and taking action to learn about it. So I feel like the pandemic in a way has had this positive result of like waking people up a bit and realizing, you know, I really do need to learn how this works. And yeah, I didn't, wasn't taught in school. Neither was I, you know, like, So I'm going to have to take matters in my own hands. And I think it's important to pace that journey because it took me many years and I'm still learning, you know, 15 years later. And you're not going to learn everything in in one night and one go. So it's like, don't put the pressure on yourself that you should. And I notice a lot of judgment, women feeling, I'm so behind. I wish I started investing earlier. I wish I knew how it worked earlier. And it's like, really don't beat yourself up because In your 30s, learning about this, you have decades to create wealth. In fact, it's not late. I have clients coming to me in their 50s. I mean, that's a different situation. We have to look at a different strategy, but it's like, you're not too late. Don't beat yourself up. Like, if you're really motivated, you can absolutely create like life changing wealth. I would say in five years, it's completely possible, especially now. So it's like, again, coming back to the compassion. It wasn't safe for you to learn about it yet. You were too intimidated by it, you know? There's a good reason for all behavior. And mm-hmm. I think when you learn a bit about trauma, you realize that. So, so yes, my advice is like, great. You should be interested in learning about it and just pace the journey. And I love too. It wasn't safe then. Now it's safe. Yeah. If you could learn a little bit about trauma, so you just have a little more compassion for yourself earlier on, 
that I think that would pay such dividends because less judgment, less negativity, less beating yourself up, less comparison, less listening to others outside of you, less giving your power away and more being with yourself. But at the same time, if it's unsafe, you're not ready. So, you know, I, I do believe like there's, there's timing for everything. You're ready or you're not, it's safe or it's not. So, but if I could have just learned that when I was younger, I, I, I think that that would have definitely helped me. So Danielle, what is your money win? <laughs> well, this is funny timing because I just sold a stock today and I made eight grand. So I'm really happy about that. Trading. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, not too bad. So good. Mm-hmm. Will you tell us what the stock was or <laughs> you don't it's have really to? Bitcoin. Crypto. Yes, this is a hot topic. So also highly risky and speculative and not for everyone. And you should do your homework and I'm not endorsing or recommending anything, Fair enough. <laughs> but um, not, it's not where it was in the beginning. I think, you know, it's something that's going to be here to stay. This is uh, what the people coming on this show have been saying. So you're yeah. very timely. Thank you again so much for coming back and for all of your wisdom and for your renewed commitment to this spiritual growth. Thank you for that. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. I loved our conversation and just such a pleasure to engage with you and co-create the show. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) On that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do you love our podcast art? I'm actually obsessed with it. It was created for us by a very talented local artist right here in Toronto named Claire Fang. And due to popular request, we're making it available to you. Check out our website, loveanddividends.com to get your very own custom Love and Dividends swag. So even as the host of a financially focused podcast, I am constantly confusing these financial terms. What I did for myself was create a handy little cheat sheet to keep everything clear. And now I'm sharing it with you. I hope it will be a helpful tool as you tune in regularly to our show. I don't love the term cheat, but I love the idea of a cheat sheet. Sign up for our mailing list at loveanddividends.com to get a free copy of my beautiful love and dividends cheat sheet emailed right to you. We love when women invest and make big wins off that investment. One of our favorite guests to talk about this is Jennifer Shell. She is the CEO and founder of FinLiddy. It's an engaging place to learn about finance and investments. She is passionate about wealth management with over 15 years of financial experience at six of Canada's largest financial institutions. She has created a new system where you can find out your investing profile and the ways that might work well for you. Enjoy this fun conversation with this powerhouse woman, and maybe it'll be what you need to start investing. Enjoy. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for coming back on. Hi, Leslie. I'm glad to be back on. So congratulations on starting FinLiddy, your new program. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how it came about, and who is it for? 
I was frustrated that it was really hard to find quality financial information. It's really difficult to get quality financial information unless you have substantial assets under your name. So oh, I know. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking at, you know, minimum 250,000 and they keep raising the bar every year. And I would say over 90% of brokerages in Canada operate this way. So if you want anything else other than mutual funds, it's very difficult to find quality advice. The whole system is based on investing. You get your 5 to 8% per year. You call it a day. It's all like that. So if you're into trading, there's basically very little resources for you. Yeah, I've noticed. And then, you know, we get into the gaps between, okay, so there's a certain threshold just to get in and get good advice. Not only is it a numerical cap, but then we look at sort of all the people excluded and there's definitely a gap for women. There's definitely a gap for a number of other individuals who don't meet that threshold and also don't typically in society meet that threshold. So it just, it like keeps getting worse <laughs> or the flip is if you have that money, it just keeps getting better. So yeah, Finlady is to make financial information accessible to everybody. And there's a strong emphasis on financial literacy. Sorry to interrupt. Is that why it's Fin? Liddy, like financial literacy? Yes, you got it. Okay. It's like hashtag Finlit. <laughs> cool. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I yeah. Like that. And so the Finlitty, if you're part of the Finlitty, then you're a member of woke, financial aware people. I'm going to explain it so that you can figure out your own strategy because it's not an all or none strategy for you. Like you can't follow Warren Buffett and expect to be Warren Buffett. You need your Leslie method, you need to find mm. your process and identify what that is for you and how involved you want to be in the market. So, and that's really missing. And that's what I want to make it fun. There's a little gamification with incentives to motivate people through intrinsic motivation, which is something we're studying so that you can be involved in the process and, you know, make it your journey and make it a positive journey to be investing in the stock market, whether it's trading or investing. And that's what Finlady does is to make it accessible. Okay, talk to me about intrinsic motivation. What does that mean? And how does that fit into this? So this is a cool concept. I've never experienced intrinsic motivation until this year when I started my accelerator program with Founder Institute, which is based in Silicon Valley. They had a joint program in Toronto. And what intrinsic motivation is, it's almost like you feel like you're high on life. <laughs> it's like you cannot stop. It's the most amazing That actually feeling. is how I live, though, is the thing. No, but <laughs> <laughs> You've already found it. It took me almost like 40 years to find my <laughs> intrinsic motivation. Yeah, like I've always loved the markets and had a passion for it. Mm -hmm. But now it's like I cannot sleep. It's like you're just so excited to just, you want to get back on that computer and you want to research or you want to get into it and you want to see what's next for you. What can you do today? You know, and you accomplish these goals and then you want more challenging goals to accomplish coming from within. So there's this other motivation that's caused by fear. That's essentially what's very alive in our society today. They motivate you by fear. You have to do it. You feel terrible about it. You don't know why you feel stuck, but you keep going because you know you have to put food on the table. And that's another form of motivation that I think is very toxic. And that's the one you want to stay away from. Jen, you know, I was just thinking about this literally last night, how a lot of financial education comes from parents and families 
and your money mindset. And I thought, you know, I don't think I know anyone, myself included, who learned finance without at least a sprinkling of fear. Like when I talk to my friends, when I think about my own experiences, Mm -hmm. it really was, you need to get a job, you need to save, you need to not overspend all these fear-based stories of like, look at this person, they blew all this money on a boat and now they're doomed. There's so many messages. They're the, the right message, but the wrong approach. It's always has this like almost tone of fear of like, you need to do it, not because it can be fun and you can enjoy it. And it's almost this like, if you don't do it, then you'll be destitute and it'll be your own fault. How do you get me out of my fear mindset into intrinsic motivation without giving away, of course, the special sauce of being thin lit, being a woke financial person? Uh, So that's a good segue into our personality profiles, which we call investor profiles. Yes. So I've developed a questionnaire along with Dr. Stefano Di Domenico from the University of Toronto. He's a behavioral psychologist. And together with my industry knowledge of being in wealth management, uh, we've come up with a series of questions. Those, those questions are really meant to do that. And so our study, we need a thousand people to do it. <laughs> so please take our study. We promise you'll get a really nice in-depth personality profile, which will be scientifically valid. Yeah, and that's what they, they tell you. And that's a common narrative in the industry. So it's really important to stay grounded with your core values that are important to you and not the other values that have been passed down from your parents or from society or from your teachers. And, you know, they, they really like to pigeonhole us and say, Hey, you know, you should be a lawyer because it makes money. (laughs) Um, No, totally. And, and like, there's some reasons why it's great to be a lawyer, but the make money one, I think disheartens at least a lot of my peers yeah, so I love the idea of core values and and sort of your motivation for doing something. There's a lot of good reasons to be a lawyer, but I think any profession, the idea of doing it to make money um, mm-hmm. isn't probably isn't ideal. And if you can lead with your heart and you're really good at what you do and it brings you satisfaction, then you're in the right place. And there are a lot of people who are risk adverse. And being a doctor, being a lawyer, being an engineer, those are the right places for you. Or, you know being a teacher or educating. And it's like, that's okay. And you know what? Allow yourself to enjoy your passion, but you can still invest and be successful. It's just that maybe you shouldn't be a day trader. (laughs) It's probably not appropriate for you. Right. When we were talking about some of the answers to your personality profile, I would assume that you're either a president because you like stability and consistency and numbers, and they tend to be more on the, you know, consistently professional side, or you'd be an emperor, which is highly analytical. They're all empowering titles. They're working towards your strengths. So let's take emperor, for example. Yeah. I hoped you'd pick that one. Yeah. Okay. So your emperors are very analytical. They Mm -hmm. tend to be more on the investing side because you need to evaluate the fundamentals and take time in your decision-making to make a decision in the market. And so a lot of, I would say like a lot of doctors fall into that category. They want to make sure there are stats behind everything that it's been proven. The downside to that is that you can be a perfectionist and that you're overly critical on yourself and that you don't give yourself permission to fail. 
And if you don't Ugh. give yourself to permission to fail. <laughs> this is accurate. This is a problem with all these. Yay. <laughs> no, I'm not overly perfect. Me? Uh-oh. Okay, go on. Uh, so we would work That's on that, trick. right? And help you make, come to a decision a lot quicker. Um, you know, something that you feel comfortable with and allow you to make a couple of mistakes and then forgive yourself for making those mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes because that's how you learn and that's how you grow. We take, you know, your strengths, emphasize those, being analytical, give you some nice structuring around that. And then we also show you, throw you in situations that will make you feel uncomfortable so that you can defeat them. And by defeating those, we create intrinsic motivation. And this framework to me just seems so fun. Like I'm already having fun talking about them. It seems like actually a way better way to communicate these things. Yeah. When you were on our show last, you brought up this term as well. I'm glad you said it. Capitalist (laughs) activist. What is a capitalist activist? And can you talk to me a little bit about what capitalism means to you? Because I have to say I had some inherent biases Mm -hmm. Um, as many people did, I went to a law school with a huge emphasis on, on social justice and equality, which I'm, I'm also really into. And I think there can be a misconception. Mm -hmm. Capitalism is the opposite of that. I don't necessarily think so, but can you sort of comment and tell us what a capitalist activist is? When you take a look at capitalism, it's like making a company or a product or service that people want, and you're excited about the business and you're entrepreneurial, and there's no cap to your potential. So that's capitalism in a nutshell. And then you you make jobs for people, you employ people, you get the economy going. It's all within the free market, and it's pretty much what our North American society is based off of. Being an activist of capitalism, it's like what I call sustainable capitalism. So non-toxic capitalism, which means that you act with integrity and you produce or you invest in things that are meaningful. Like I said, like, you know, the environmental, social and proper governance, diversity in workforces, investing in companies that are going to do things like cure cancer or help mental health, like just investing in companies that are good you know, and avoiding companies that are evil and destructive (laughs) and have poor human rights conditions. Um, Mm. And that just violate your own core values of what you think is good and what is not. Yes. Capitalist activist, (laughs) Jen Shell. What advice would you have for someone starting out with investing? Obviously take the quiz, do Mm -hmm. Liddy, but outside of that, what would be sort of a first step maybe they could take today to get started? First of all, figure out what your career is. If you have a job, have that job, live within your means, come up with your expenses. If you can afford a Starbucks latte every day and you're happy with it and it brings you joy, just do it. <laughs> Don't deprive yourself of the little things because those are the things that are going to keep you going and on your way to success. You know, start saving for, like I said, start $1,500 because the transaction costs are going to eat all your profit away right at the beginning. That's why I say $1,500 is a good starting point. Save for that. Pay off all your credit card debts. Try not to have any balances on your credit cards before you do anything else. There is time if you're young, there's time to keep on going. Like I said, you need five years to totally change your life around. Do you have a money win for us, Jen? 
Yeah. And this is a mental money win. So earlier this year, I was obsessed with Shira when I was a kid, the Shira action figure series. She's like, was pretty much the only superhero when I was a kid. And I thought she was great. And she like just inspired me in so many ways. And all of her friends, there's like a little bit of a lack of diversity on her friend circle, but (laughs) that aside, (laughs) yeah, actually 80s, 84. So I bought the whole collection in the boxes and this makes me very happy. And every day I look at Shira and all of her friends in their superpower uniforms (laughs) and I get inspired to just tackle and be an inspiration and do what I'd love to do and help people out and save the world. So, you know, you're a princess of power is what I'm seeing come up. (laughs) Yes. I love her. Thank you so much for coming back to love and dividends. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, This was a lot of fun. I'm so glad that I did this and what you're doing is fabulous too. Well, thank you very much. And we'll, we'll leave with, with love and dividends as always. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. Please subscribe, share, and rate us with five shining stars on iTunes. It really helps us rise in visibility to reach more listeners like you. To find out more, check out our website, loveanddividends.com, our Instagram at loveanddividends, or email me, leslie at loveanddividends.com. This episode was produced by Holly Dodson. Until next time, I'm Leslie Gray, signing off with Love and Dividends.